thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Actually, um, did at Mid Cities, and it was so powerful that we wanted to bring it to you and just realize that worship is important. Turn to your neighbor and say, Worship is important. And then ask them why. And then ask them to preach to you the whole message. Just kidding. Hey, if you have your um, Luminous Church app, go ahead and open that and go to notes. If you do not have that church app, you can go get it from the app store. Or if you have the Bible on your phone, that's a version Bible. You can search for live event and you can find the notes there. It will be helpful for you as we have a lot of scripture this morning. And so the scripture that I speak from this morning will be on that app. But don't you worry. It will also be on the screen. Man, um, if you're a guest here this morning, we're so excited that you are here with us at Luminous Church. Can we give all our guests a big hand this morning? Make them feel loved. Well, you are loved, and if you missed your guest gift this morning, if you didn't get that on the way in at the guest table, then we'd encourage you to fill out a Connect card, and you can take that to the info table right after service, where we have a gift for you this morning because we love you, and it's good to see your face this morning. And so, awesome. Well, engaging God. On the app, there is a poll question. A poll question. What does your mind think about most during the week? And so I would love your feedback. I'd love to hear about what you think about most. If you're if your answer is not on there, just put the most applicable one to this situation and, and go ahead and mark that. And we will reveal those results next week. Next week. What are you consumed with? That's awesome. Scary. Man, I love, I love the word engage. Engage, it's such an action word. It's this action word that, that I'm going to engage something. I'm going to participate in something. I love this because engaging God, that, that can be a little, a little daunting. That could be a little intimidating. But I hope that by the end of today that it's not as intimidating as the word may sound. But I want to let you know that, that engaging is this participatory thing with us and with God. In fact, the most or the best analogy that I can use for engagement is when a guy and a girl, they meet. Now, now maybe you aren't in a relationship and maybe you hate relationships and maybe um, you don't want to hear the word love today. But I want to tell you, I want you to recall the time that you got enamored over someone. The stage of infatuation. I, I think we've all been there. In fact, probably 99% of this room has been infatuated with the opposite sex at some point. Now, there's probably 1% outliers out there, and we will just forget you this morning, okay? So just sit there and tune out and, and answer the poll question multiple times. But those 99%, those 99% who are head over heels for the other person, it's interesting how this works. It it. Typically, guy pursues girl. Uh, these days, girl pursues guy. I don't know how it works necessarily, but, but either way, somebody's pursuing the other, and then you move to this place of infatuation. You get googly eyes. Or as Urban Dictionary would like to say, you get love drunk. 
Any of y'all been love drunk before? It's where you message them, you email them, you text them, you think about them all the time, and you're walking around with a stupor, with an arrow in your back, right? How many of you have ever been love drunk? You want to admit that this morning? Okay, I see that hand. Awesome, awesome. How many of you were love drunk, but you got sober real quick? Welcome to third year of marriage right there. You know, at some point, the love drunk kind of goes away. It, 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 it leaves you, and I would say that then the hard work comes in to fight for this love. I'm using this analogy for the sense of how we are supposed to interact with God. You see, God is ultimately in love with you, and, and I'll go and I'll dare to say this. God is love drunk over you. He's love drunk over you. He gets excited when he sees you. When you wake up, he, he says good morning. And when you go to bed, he says good night. He's willing to take you anywhere that you want to go. And he's going to be there with you. I love God. I love how he pursues, how he chases, how he moves, how he's so big and grandiose and magnificent. But some of us hate superlatives like drunk, and so we'll ditch that for the rest of the service and say, our ultimate goal and desire of life is to worship God. To worship God, that we would be so in love with this God who is so in love with us, and that we would worship him in return. Truth is, we all worship something, don't we? It's, we all worship something. Worship, let me... Let me define worship. Worship is this, transferring all the worth we put in ourselves, our stuff, our things, and put it all on the one it belongs to. Another way to say this, the proper response of all moral, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator, God, precisely because he is worthy delightfully so that God would get our worth and our extreme worth and here this morning worship isn't just what we do on stage and it's not just song and it's not just instruments and it's not just this it's all that we do and say every day and throughout life and so why do we come here this morning? We come here this morning because it's a lot like Flint. When I was in third grade, I, I used to go to the Lions Club. There they had a fire pit. It was awesome. And we used to put grass in it. And we, and we would grab our Flint rocks and we would go and we'd start a fire. And how I many you know it takes a lot of work to start a fire with Flint? Have you, any of you ever tried it? It's hard in West Texas when the wind's blowing. I don't know if you've experienced wind like West Texas before, but it's awful. And we would go there and we'd start our fire and we're in third grade and then we'd roll our grass and we'd smoke our joint. It was awesome. Our fake joint. It was amazing. Man, you know what? A lot of us are in this room. We come together in a place like this, in a worship place like this, in order to edify one another. The main purpose of coming together in church is for the edification of one another. And there's no greater edification than when you're worshiping, singing, lifting hands, hearing a word, saying hi, getting coffee, 
giving hugs, praying for one another, right? This is the edification, that the reason why we're here. And it's like flint rocks. And you by yourself alone will never start a fire. We'll never start a fire. It won't last. You may get some kindling. Some things may happen, but it's just going to burn out. It won't last long. And that's why we're here together. There's many verses on this. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near can you tell your neighbor they look good go ahead just encourage them just encourage them they're opposite sex and they're single you may you may say it with some more you look good baby hey man you look good you feel encouraged you feel edified right now feel edified that's awesome that's awesome i love it that's what we should be doing but not only will we edify each other in word not only will we edify each other indeed, not only will we come in here and we'll, we'll chat it up over coffee and, and cake and all that stuff, but we're going to edify each other through singing. I love Revelation 7, 9 through 12. It gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse of how we're going to edify one another. It says this, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with, white, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. What I love is when we worship in this place, realize that worship brings a sense of unity that we've never seen before. Worship breaks so many things that naturally we put up walls in. Think about it. In a place like this, in a room like this, there's our different class systems. Socioeconomic places. Some of you are, are wealthier monetarily than others, and yet you worship right next to each other. Some of you look different, maybe different color, different color hair, different color eyes, and yet you worship God together. It's amazing what worship does. It brings the church into complete unity with Christ. When we sing together, everybody's singing together in this place. I love how worship brings us together. I love how it sharpens us. But not only, not only are we encouraged to worship, but we are commanded to worship God. In 1 Chronicles 16, 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. There's a command. We must worship God. When I got married, we, we went through a season of infatuation, didn't we, babe? It was amazing. It was glorious. No one could do no wrong during the engagement period. And then after you walk the aisle a couple of years, and then it's like, what happened? Still amazing. Still beautiful. 
But what I realize is I have to realize a vow that I made in my heart and in my spirit on the altar six and a half years ago that I vowed to love you for better and for worse. And as I take this vow, I now realize I'm commanded to love her. I'm commanded to love her. It's what I must do. Yet in a command, yet in a vow, yet in moments like this, there are still choices. There are still choices luring. I have to choose this morning if I'm going to love my wife or not. And I have to choose this day whether I'll worship God or not. I love David. We've been in these epic, big Bible stories, maybe because they're familiar to most, but not to all. And so we just have to continue them for the sake of the theme of this year. Risk was our theme and risk is our theme. You may see these shirts as you walk in. You're going to read these posters about risk. You're going to say, we ask people at the beginning of the year, what are you willing to risk for God in 2015? Different people put different things, but one of the most common themes was control. I want to risk control. I want to give that up. And the best model for somebody who risked giving up control, who risked it all, was David. David was amazing. In 2 Samuel 6, you may remember this story, 14 through 22. In 2 Samuel 6, you have the Ark of the Covenant. It's coming into the temple. It's coming into the into the presence of the king, and it's coming in. This is, represents the presence of God. And David realizes that the presence of God is coming near. Is coming near. And so what did he do? He went crazy, man. He went crazy. Wearing an ephod, wearing an apron, just an apron. As the ark was coming in, he starts dancing like crazy in front of God. And he says, God, you are mighty. You are majestic. You are worthy. You are worthy of my dancing. It says in verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. With all his might. You got to think about David. David is a warrior. David killed thousands. David was a man's man. There was no one manlier than David. And yet his vulnerability and his humility before the Lord made him even more manly. So he was dancing before the Lord while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets and the band was playing and things were happening and we recognized that the presence of God is here and so we're going to dance and sing. Well, his wife got embarrassed and didn't like it. She said, what are you doing embarrassing yourself? I can relate to that. But I've embarrassed myself for the wrong reasons and not the right ones. In 22, I will become even more undignified than this. And I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. I'll be even more undignified than this. I'll give it even more to Jesus. I'll give everything I have to Jesus. You see, G David recognized God's worth. He recognized God's worth. And because God is worthy, he must worship. 
He must worship. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. As David models worship, as he models dancing in front of people, as he goes crazy in front of everyone, as he does all of this, we read that he writes lots of psalms. He writes, he writes his heart in scripture. And it's important because how does, a, how does a king who kills thousands, a warrior of warriors, a man of all men, is so vulnerable and innocent and loving and exposing how does he do this? Well, if you take a look at the Psalms, all throughout Psalms, David reveals his heart. And in Psalm 1, 63-1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Earnestly. Earnestly searching after God. That's a huge desire. It's this huge desire. How many of you know that without three days of water, you know, you'll probably die? That we need, we just, we don't need a lot of it. We just need eight ounces, eight ounces, eight cups of eight ounces a day. That's all we need to survive. We don't need a lot of it. And yet, without it, we'll die. And he translates this, that my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you, that I'm thirsty for you. And without you, I will die. Without your presence, I will die. My flesh faints for you. In other words, he was lovesick. How many of you have been lovesick before? How many of you were love drunk and then you got lovesick because you got love dumped, right? <laughs> Any of you ever been there? And then you get love sick. And you want it to go away, and you long, long for that relationship to come back. You'll do anything. Dry, weary land. I'll buy Valentine's. I'll get roses. We'll go anywhere. We'll do anything. That's David in this moment. So, everybody say so. Great transition word. So, what do I do in this moment? What do I do in this moment? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Dry, dark, lonely, lovesick. What will I do? I'll praise you. What will I do? So I'll look to you. What will I do? I don't care about how I feel in here. This won't be my reality, but that will be my reality. And my question for you is, what's your reality today? What's your reality of God? Is your reality of God your emotions? Is the reality of God of, did I feel the music today? Did I, did I, oh, wait for the key change, wait for the key change, boom, worship. Right? Is that your reality? Is your reality um, stuck in a place, a finite place, where you're only comfortable in certain places? Where, where maybe, maybe you'll just worship by holding the big screen TV right here. Maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll single worship, right? Wave, wave everybody, you know, it's no ring on your finger. You know, maybe somebody will notice me today. Please, Lord, sit in front of that cute guy. Okay. Boom. All right, Jesus. Here we go. You know, 
What, what will be your comfortability today? What will be your comfortability? Maybe, maybe you, you, you have your one, your one thing, your one thing that you do every time worship happens. Man, just the one reach. Oh, I'm going to grab God. I'm going to grab you. I'm going to grab you. You know? Maybe it's like turn up the music. Oh, louder, louder, louder. You know, whatever it is, I, I think it's okay. I'm, make, I'm, making fun of, I'm making fun of the moment, but what I'm saying is, Man, there's this level of comfortability, and God's saying, man, I want you to worship past your level of comfortability. I want you to worship in a place where, where maybe you move into an uncomfortable place. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Not because it's something I've always done. Not it's because it's something I'm going to do because I'm in church today. Not because the girl or the guy are looking at me it's because I need you and it's dry I need to raise my hands it's amazing things in raising your hands and one outward posture that I would encourage our church today is this is that we would lift up our hands but why Ben why lift up our hands why lift up our hands it's not so people know you're single it's because God urges it throughout Scripture. It's because we know that, that the universal sign of victory, when, when Pac-Man, right, on May what? May what? May 2nd, May 2nd, party at Voltaire's house, the Filipinos. When Pac-Man wins the title, what will everybody do? Everybody do it right now. What will everybody do? Everybody will raise their hands. Now, not everybody raise their hands because I know that some of you don't like Pac-Man. But when your team wins, what do you do? You raise your hands. You cheer. Universal sign of victory. And then a bank robbery happens. Boom. What do you do? Lift up your hands. Universal sign of surrender. Whatever you raise your hands to controls you. It's just true. It's just true. The guy with the gun has my complete attention. Total surrender. He controls me. Pac-Man winning the championship, he has my complete attention. He controls me. And I think God not only is victorious because he is victorious, but I know that God is also king, and I'll surrender to him every time. Paul writes to Timothy. He understands this principle of raising hands, and I, I think it's so important. In 1 Timothy 2.8, as he writes to Timothy, says, I desire them that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Why does he address the men in this? Why does he say, men, lift your hands? It's because men usually are the last ones to lift their hands. It's always the wife over there lifting her hands. But the men are like stoic, stoic, reserved, keep it internal, keep it internal. I'm raising my hands in my mind. Okay, now I'm raising my heart. Okay, you're big. Oh, there it goes. Hi. Hi, both hands. Okay, there you go. Right? 
That's what men do. So Paul had to write to Timothy, men, raise your hands, lift up your hands. And I believe that, man, I'm going to lift my hands because I'm going to model it for my son. I don't want my son to ever out-worship me, and I don't want my wife to ever out-worship me. I'm going to worship undignified even more than this because I'm going to lead her in worship, and I'm going to lead her in these things. And so men of our church, we have to lead in worship. I realize you're a guest this morning. If you're a guest, you, you can just sit there. We love you. Keep coming back. And then after three weeks, you won't like me anymore. Men have to raise their hands. Exodus 17. Another huge story for us. Moses was finding the Amalekites. And as the army was fighting, Moses, God said, as long as your hands are raised, I'll give you the victory. But when your hands went down, right, the victory was being lost. And his hands went up and they started winning. Can you imagine that? It's like, you know, it's like Clash of the Titans. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know, y'all don't play that. Okay. That's what it's like, man. It's just like boom, 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 boom. But when his hands were raised, there was victory. And I believe that when you want victory in your life, man, raise your hands. For those who took a risk and said, man, I want to risk something. I want to give up control. Well, give up control. Raise your hands. I'll never forget. I was trying to put myself in this place because I've been worshiping God for the last 25 years. And as I've been worshiping God, I was trying to think back to this place of when I was hesitant to raise my hands because you see the last 12 years I could care less what people thought about me right I was single I loved life I didn't care I was raising my hands I was going all out for Jesus but I remember being about 15 16 years old I go to a church that is a little bit more outwardly expressive the posture was a little bit different there were people on their knees there were people raising hands and some things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with and I remember when I first started leading or first started worship I would do this I would do the side hand thing Whew, and that just felt good to me you know where you just you put the hand to the side and you're just like Man, God, that actually feels good. Why does that feel good? I don't know. Maybe there's some science behind it. Or maybe it's just saying, man, my spirit is actually coming into submission to who God is. So I, 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 I opened my hands, and, and, then, and then I remember moving them to right here. But, but our youth pastor, he was always like this. He was always like this. Every once in a while, he did a twirl, a twirl and it was really cool. And I was like, man, that was a cool twirl. I got to do that sometime. But, man, I remember. I remember. And let me say this. My, my spirit wasn't being open. My flesh was being open to what was happening in my spirit. And so as God already moved in my spirit, I was saved. I was sanctified. God was moving. My flesh was coming into alignment with what was happening in my spirit. My spirit felt free. And my flesh, my body did not. And so I moved to this place of just... I remember the first time I raised my hand. Dude, there was so much freedom. So many things happened. God did so many things through that. And I just want to encourage you today. What is your posture of worship? 
What is your outward posture of worship? Are you men in here who need to be encouraged? The victory was God's because Moses raised his hands. I don't believe that was an accident. I believe God was using that. Now, I do believe that worship is more than song and it's more than raising hands. I believe that Jesus wants our worship to be every day in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Next week, we're going to talk about what is our inward response to worship. Our outward response is posture and different things that we read in Psalms. The number one thing that I'd leave you with is that we would lift our hands. Would you stand with me this morning as we close this time? Stand with me this morning as we close this time. And I want to pray for you as we dismiss and as we truly realize what it means to engage the living God and that we would be worshipers not only in song, not only in music, but we would be worshipers every day. So, Father, we love you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And if you're a guest, totally, totally just blend in. Bow our, bow our heads and close our eyes. I want us all to raise our hands. I want you all to raise your hands and just say, yep, that's, that's hard. That's weird. No one's opened their eyes, are they? They're not looking at me, are they? This is so weird, God. This is so weird, God. And would you repeat this after me? Jesus, look at my posture, a reflection of my heart. Jesus, with this year, be complete surrender to you and you alone. Where I'm uncomfortable, Jesus, let me enter into that. Sometimes we take a step and God meets us right where we are. Sometimes we raise a hand and God starts meeting us. Sometimes it's bowing a knee. So Jesus, come right now, Father, and fill your children that they would know you, that they would love you. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Make us a people. Make us a people who live undignified. God, not a hyper-religious, not a weird and obnoxious, Lord, make us a people that are authentic and longing for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can stay standing.